0: Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence already and your Holy Spirit moving upon our hearts in the worship, our time of dedication and praying over the Mao family. And now, God, we ask that you would speak to us, dear Jesus. God, that your Holy Spirit would would just open our minds and our hearts to you right now, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. So, God, we give you this time. We give you our attention. We give you our hearts, Lord. We we just surrender to you. Speak now, Lord. Speak now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I came across this interesting recipe. This recipe. And it's something that you could put on top of your noodles. Now, let me read to you the ingredients. This is the list of ingredients that are given here. 2 cups of milk, 3 tablespoons of butter, 4 tablespoons of flour, 1 cup of vegetable broth, 1 cup sliced mushrooms, 1 green pepper sliced, 1 pimento cut into small strips, a quarter cup cooking sherry, salt, pepper, 2 egg yolks, and the final ingredient listed here on this recipe, 36 cockroaches. By the way, it makes six servings, they say. (laughs) This recipe is called Cockroach a la King, and it comes from this cookbook. It's called Eat a Bug Cookbook. The author, David Gordon, made this comment on this recipe, and he wrote this. Watch their faces at mealtime as cooked cockroaches on their plates play hide-and-seek in the creamy sauce. I got to tell you, that's so wrong. (laughs) It's so, so wrong. Now, I don't know how many cookbooks were sold, but in my mind, any bug kind of cookbook, that's a recipe for failure, right? No way. It's not success. That's total failure. Now, as we return here to our study in the book of 2 Peter, remember our theme, Uh, The theme that I gave you last week, our theme is know the word and grow in God. Or in other words, know and grow, know and grow. But how can believers not fail at growing in the Lord, growing in spiritual maturity? Well, that's what we find in our passage today. And so I've titled our passage, the recipe for spiritual maturity success. It's not a bug recipe, but it's a recipe for spiritual growth. So our title, once again, is the recipe for spiritual success. Now we're going to be studying 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 5 through 11. We looked at verse 1 through 4 last week, and now we're going to go on verse by verse in our study through this book. So 5 through 11. And in our passage, we're going to see three things, and this is also our outline. Number one, the ingredients, the ingredients for this recipe for spiritual success. Number two is the indicators, the indicators. And number three is the inspiration. So we have the ingredients, the indicators, and the inspiration here this morning. So the recipe for spiritual success Let's begin with number one, the ingredients, the ingredients. And here we're going to be looking at verses five through seven, five through seven in this first section. Take a look with me here and we'll read those five verses. It says in Second Peter chapter one, verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And we'll stop there. By the way, I'm reading out of the ESV version. That's what I use in our study here in this church. So we begin here with Peter now. Peter writes in verse 5 for this very reason. Well, what reason? What is he talking about? Well, this connects us to what he talked about above and what we saw last week. If you missed our message, you can always go back and get the the, the um, podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and, and listen. Or go back to YouTube and you get an archived uh, Sunday morning service there. But Peter He's referring to what we saw last week, and we saw in verse 1 and 2 that basically, I'll just give it to you, God has saved you, right? And we have Christ's righteousness on us. So we're talking about our salvation. So God has saved us. And we talked about that last week. And then in verse 3, he talked about that the very power that saved us is the very power that is provided for us for everything we need to live for God. We see this in verse 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we talked about this. So we have this power now. Then, then he also saw, we also saw in verse 4, Peter said that God promises to do that. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises that we can live this life for God. So we're, we have salvation, Peter said, we have salvation in Christ now. And you know, we have that power to live for God. And he promised to do that work in us that we, he will help us to live for God. So God has saved your life. God has given you the ability to live that saved life. That's the idea here. Martin Lord Jones, a great preacher, he said, The secret of a successful spiritual life is just to realize two things. I must have complete, absolute confidence in God and have no confidence in myself. And that's so good because I think it sets us up and, and, and it comes to... Come, uh, brings us together, and what we learned last week—that you know—it's all God. God saved us. It's His righteousness that we're able to go into heaven. and Now He gives us the power to live for God. It's all in God, not in us. So Paul says, for this very reason, because He saved us, He's given us the power. We have the promises now. We have God's power and promises. For this very reason, then He goes on, in verse five, make. Every effort to supplement your faith. We'll stop right there. So when Peter writes, make every effort. You know what he's saying? Hey, you know what? Give everything you got into this. Give everything you have inside you to what? To supplement. The word supplement there in some translations is to add. It means to bring in in the original language. In other words, appropriate. What God has promised you. Appropriate the power. Apply that power into your lives. Into what? Your faith. Add to your faith. Now what's the faith? Faith is talking about salvation. Faith is talking about what I just talked about. What Peter wrote about earlier in verse 1. That we are saved by faith in Christ. And by faith we have Christ's righteousness. So when he says faith here. He's talking about that salvation. In other words. Peter's writing here. Put into practice this power that God has given us. His divine power that he promised to work in our lives. Put that into practice. Now, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. And, and listen to this. It will be on the screen. But it's verse 12, the second part in verse 13. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's his will? What's his work? That work in us. That work that we would live for God. He's worked that in us. That's the power and the promises. That's our salvation. And out of that, God has given us that ability inside us to be able to work out that into our lives, to practice that power in our lives. So we need to work out what God had worked in. So you understand what he's, he's saying here now. He's saying, look, we need to appropriate this. We have this already. What are we going to do with it? I mean, think about it this way. What good is the prescription the doctor gave you when you never go and fill it out, right? It just sits on your desk, this piece of paper, and you never do anything with that. You never get the medication and apply it to your life. What good is that? It does nothing. So this is Peter saying, look, we need to appropriate that. We need to implement it. We need to apply it. We need to practice what God wants us to do to be. And so, how is this power now? We understand that, okay, yeah, we, we've got to put into practice, put into our lives, we've got to work out what we, God worked in. Well, how do we appropriate this power, that power inside of us, into our walk with God? Well, by these seven ingredients that he goes on to talk about. There's seven ingredients. This is the ingredients, thus our heading. Uh, this is what peter lists for us that should be coming out of our lives that we need to appropriate into our lives that the power of god is promised to work out in our lives and so there's seven ingredients basically for spiritual uh, success and we'll see these build upon each other and and their character qualities they're 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 how we become like christ that's the idea here. And number one, we see in verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with number one, virtue. Virtue. What's virtue? Virtue, another uh, way to say is moral excellence. It's to uphold a high moral character. That's what it's about. You know, um, I have my Apple Watch here, and sometimes I play around with the compass. There's a compass here. And, and, and I, I, sometimes I think, oh, that's so cool, compass, you know. And if I ever get lost, well, you know, I have a compass right here, right here on, on my hand. I don't have to worry. But then, then again, I think my Apple Watch won't work without my phone. If I have my phone, I can always call someone, right? <laughs> it's like, well, anyway. But it's a nice thought, isn't it? It's a nice thought. And we know what a compass is, right? We can find true north. But this is what the Lord is talking about here. This is what Peter's saying. We need to have virtue. We need to have a good moral compass that we stick to those morals. The morals that are found in the Bible. We need to be true to that moral compass that God has put within us. So number one, you get saved. Then you know what? Add to that a high value on your morals, a moral excellence here. Number two, here he goes on with knowledge. He says here, and virtue with knowledge. So you add to your faith virtue and then add to virtue with knowledge. Add knowledge. Now, knowledge here in original language is, is really what we saw last week. But basically, let me put it this way. Knowledge is, is personally knowing God better. The word here is really talking about experience. Not just know, but you experience God. So you're knowing God in a deeper way. That you're growing in God. That's the thought here. Knowledge is personally knowing God better. And so that's what our life should be. We come to be saved. Oh yeah, we get right with God. We're saved. And we start like fixing things in our moral compass and making sure it's true and And the next thing, what happens? Well, we start to get to know Jesus better. And we have a personal relationship with God. The hymn writer Ellis E. Hewitt wrote these words. More about Jesus in his word. Holding communion with my Lord. Hearing his voice in every line. Making each faithful saying mine. I love that. That speaks of this closeness with the Lord. Communion with the Lord. Knowing Jesus Christ and hearing his voice more. That relationship. So number one is virtue, that moral excellence, knowledge, personally knowing God better. And then he goes on with self-control, number three. So he says in verse six, and knowledge with self-control. And we know what that is. But let me put it this way. It's to restrain your will to do God's will. That's self-control. Ultimately, we submit our will to God's will, right? And what he tells us to do, what we are to be obedient with, what our flesh wants to do. We're going, nope, I want to do that. My flesh wants to do it. My old guy wants to do it. But no, I'm going to do God's will. So self-control really is to restrain your will to do God's will. It's, it's to have discipline like an athlete has, if you think about that. In, um 1 Corinthians chapter 9 here, and I, I'm going to just turn to it here. In chapter 9 from verse 24, I'm going to read to verse 27. Um, the apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain him. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul's talking about like an athlete. Yeah, he disciplines himself. He, he, he does his workout uh, spiritually in a sense. He has self-control, self-discipline in that. And so that's what this self-control really is. It is basically restraining yourself, having self-discipline so that you will keep to doing God's will in your life. That you conduct yourself in this life to do what God wants. Listen to, or or think about it this way. It is self-control. Self-control fills the gap between what we know and what we actually do. I like that. Put that into your your minds. So we got to run our race that God has set us on with this self-control, this self-discipline. All right, our passage goes on in verse 6. It says, in self-control, like to self-control, add a steadfastness. Steadfastness. Now, that means to persevere against all odds. To persevere against all odds. It, it, it means to hang in there. It means to stick to God's plan in your life. It, it, it means, you know what? We're going to hold on. We're going to be steadfast to do God's will even in the face of of Satan's attacks. We, we can all right, get, succumb to that. I mean, Satan is evil, and the devil wants to bring us down and destroy us. We understand that. We talked about that yesterday in our men's fellowship. And so steadfastness, it, it means to persevere against all odds, to keep going against all odds, to keep moving forward, to not back down. Even in the hard times, even with that battle with your own flesh, even when there's pushback from the world, the world, other people pushing, why are you doing that? Why are you going to church? Why why, why are you living like that? Nobody does that. Nobody talks like that. Nobody holds to those values. Those values. It's to hold on, be steadfast, even in the face of temptation, that we do not give in. And it's really our faith. In the Lord, right? That we know God is real. We know the reality of the promises of God's word. We know the issues that are going on here. So so we keep praying. We don't give up on that. We keep we keep moving forward in our lives to grow in. And and you know what? We keep having hope in God that we don't give up on our marriage. We don't give up on our wayward kids. We don't give up. Even when, when God has placed you in this stressful job, and you're like, I want to quit. I want to get out of here. But God is saying, no, I want you still there. So that's that steadfastness. Whatever situation in life you're in right now, God is saying, be steadfast. Be steadfast. I have a plan. I'm doing something here. Trust me. Have faith. Have faith. Be steadfast. Have self-control, self-discipline here. Hold to knowing me, get close to me, you know, and, and hold to your morals here. Don't give in, don't give up. Don't give up on me here. Then next, number five, is godliness. Godliness, verse six, and steadfastness with godliness. You know what godliness, it's a life characterized like Jesus, Right? Romans 8 tells us that we're predestined to the image of Christ, in other words that God's working in our life so our, our character would become more like Christ. So we would be like Christ as we live and so godliness is just that. And and I would put it this way, Godly, godliness is living a life that shows God is in it. That's godliness, right? God inside, right? Godliness, right? That's what it is. You live a life that shows God is in your life. Do people see you and say, there's something different? Does the world look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I have Jesus. Oh, okay. I get it. That's what it should be, right? It should be like that. A little girl came home from church one day and asked her mother, uh, Mom, is God bigger than us and of course, the mother said, Yes, yes, God is bigger. And then the little girl asked, Does God live inside of us? And the mother's like, Yes, God lives inside of us. And then the little girl, in her little girl logic, said, Then if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, wouldn't he show through us? That's it. God should be showing through us. That's godliness. All right, number six here in these in seven ingredients is brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. Verse seven. And godliness with brotherly affection. That is being faithful friendly to others. That's what basically it is. The word here, brotherly affection, I've taught you guys so many times, right? There's the Greek word, Philadelphia, right? Like the city, the city of brotherly love. It's a Greek word, actually, Philadelphia, and it it means just that. This friendly family love. It's a a friendly family affection. Let me put it this way. You know what? As I was studying this week, it it brought me to even a deeper thought. Uh, It's not just like how we love our family and friends and stuff, but but it's acceptance. It's this love of acceptance, like like your friends accept you, your family accepts you as you are. Plus, we gotta love our family because they're our family, right? No matter no, but we we still accept them because they're our family, right? We have that connection, that tie to them, and so the brotherly affection here is is just that this friendly. Uh, acceptance it's it's it, it it's this this love but it's this really uh, a connecting in that way there's an internet site it's called um bringfido.com <laughs> and it lists hotels all around that are basically pet friendly one of the ones here on Maui is a four seasons resort and it's a it's considered a pet friendly hotel they say that you can bring two pets up to 15 pounds. They're welcome to stay for free, for free. So that's pet, that's really pet friendly, right? There's, there's, there's no conditions, there's no, well, he, they can stay, we'll be your friend of this hotel, will be friendly to your pet if you pay this money, you know, if you do this thing. Uh, but it has to be up to 15 pounds, but that's still pretty big. Well, I was thinking about this. This place here that we're in, it should be a people-friendly church, right? It should be. That's what it should be. We should have that brotherly affection for one another, that acceptance for one another. Sometimes people think, well, church, it's for worship. We come worship, we hear the teaching, and then you leave. But let me tell you, let me tell you, this is a place to connect, To build this unity as a body of Christ, as a church, ohana. The service may end at 10.30. Some of you guys, sometimes it's 10.35. No, (laughs) sometimes I've been early too, right? But service may end at 10.30, but you know what? We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We should be connecting. And especially today, it's our Ohana Sunday. It's our potluck. We're going to break bread together. We're going to sit down with each other. It's a time for us to get to know one another. It's a time for us to get to know someone new. It's a time for us to connect with that brotherly affection. Number seven, number seven here is love. So we see number one, the virtue, the knowledge, Uh, Self-control, number four, steadfastness, number five, godliness, number six, brotherly affection, and then verse seven, and brotherly affection, you know what you add, you know what you supplement, you know what you bring in to that as you build upon each of these things? It's love. It's love. It's pure, unconditional love for all. It's the word we know, agape, right? Agapao is the Greek word. It's that unconditional love. You just love. You just give to give. Undeserved. The person doesn't have to deserve it. It's just a giving love. It's the kind of love God loves us with. It's the highest form of love. And that's how God loves us because we weren't worthy of being loved, but he loved us anyway. And he sent his son to the cross to die for us because of that agapao, that unconditional uh, love. We didn't deserve it. But let me put it this way. As Peter builds upon this from brotherly affection to now agapao, agape, to love, you know what? This, he's talking about love, it goes beyond the walls of the church. Maybe in the church we have that brotherly affection, it's still love, but it goes beyond that. It's to, it's to love the lost. It's to love those who, who are unlovable in our life. It's to, it's to love even our enemies. That's the idea. That's what's being built up here. You know, I read about this uh, Jewish lady. She went over to her temple, the Jewish temple, to get counseling. But the rabbi refused to see her until she paid her dues to the temple there. So she got mad. She got angry. And she just walked down the street. And she ended up following some people into a Christian church. And that was the first time she was in a Christian service. Well, within a week, she gave her heart to Jesus. And then later, the pastor of that church was, was talking to her and, and said, Well, what happened? Tell me what happened when, when, you first, when you came to our service. What was going on? Well, the lady said, That Sunday, my heart was opened up to Jesus. And naturally, the pastor's thinking, well, what, what was it? Was it something in the message, you know? What was it that I said that maybe opened your heart? And then she said, I don't remember anything you said. <laughs> but I couldn't believe the love and affection these people had for each other. That's what it's about, right? You, they will know, right? You're my disciples by what? Your love. Your love, that, that's what it's about, you guys. That's what opens the door. She was just rejected. But what she saw is all these people from different places, different walks of life, different, di- different races, different all this, they were all one in love. How powerful this kind of Christian love is, isn't it? Notice it, it, it all builds up. This is the seventh ingredient. From virtue, from that moral excellence, right to knowledge, to self-control, to steadfastness, to godliness, to brotherly affection, to love. Can you see how it builds upon each other? I mean, love here is at the top; it's the highest; it's it's the most. You know, all the way. But underneath is is that moral compass. No, we're we're for good, for the good for each other, right? um there's there's that knowledge of Jesus there there's that steadfastness no wonder and self-control there's there's that godliness and think about godliness mixed with with brotherly affection and love and how powerful that is that's what peter's talking about this is you guys spiritual maturity this is spiritual growth this is spiritual Success. This is what D. Martin Lloyd Jones was talking about. This is what we need in our lives. Now, I don't know if you looked at this list, and I was looking at it like, "Where am I?" You know, "Where am I?" Oh, I need help here. I'm not saying you you you're, were perfect in this, but we should be growing in this, and we're going to get into that in the next section. But some people, right? They come to faith in Christ. They have that faith. They know Christ. They, they, they're saved. They know Christ is their righteousness. They know they're going to have eternal life. John three 16, they're going to go to heaven when they die. But some people, they stop right there. That's it. And their life just stays the same. Some people, they, they well, no, I got to get my life right. And they add the virtue, the moral excellence. There's a lot of good people out there that are saved. But do they really have this closeness to Jesus? I know some people like that. There's some people that, that have that closeness. They're great, good people. But you know what? They don't have self-control. I mean, when things happen, whoo, watch out. Sparks fly. Yeah? The emotions come up. They go crazy. There is no self-control. Some people, well, they have that self-control. But some people don't have that steadfastness. They're okay for a while, but then something happens, right? The cares of this world, yeah. uh, 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 the cares of things come in, and, oh, they're up and down, up and down constantly. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Some of us stop along this way, and we, we only take maybe two of the ingredients, or one, or maybe three Not all seven, we need to be pursuing all seven because all together, it is powerful, you guys. It makes a powerful, powerful life. And we grow in the Lord. We need to have that maturity. So this is the ingredients laid out before us. What, What does it look like to appropriate, to implement, to apply this power in our lives right here? With these seven ingredients. These seven ingredients. This is the recipe for spiritual success. The ingredients. Let's go on to number two now. The indicators. The indicators. Verse eight. Verse eight and nine we're going to cover. But let's look at verse eight first. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here Peter goes on, look, look. if you find these qualities, if you find you, these seven ingredients, right, are being practiced in your life, they're coming out of your life, if they're increasing, you know what that means? If, it means if you're growing in that. So see, we're not all perfect in this, but we're growing in these seven things. And then he says, If they are, if you're growing, if you find these things that, you know, you're going to find yourself uh, uh, from being, you will not be ineffective. In other words, uh, you, uh, you, you won't be no use of God. That's what that means. When we have these things, God can use us greatly as his tool to fulfill our mission here on this planet in this life, right? To go out and make disciples of all nations. To share Jesus. That's our mission, you guys. That's our mission. And you won't be unfruitful. Like, uh, uh, if you do this, you'll have fruit. You won't be sitting there like no spiritual fruit at all. Warren Riosby said, where there is life, there must be growth. The new birth is not the end. It is the beginning. I love that. Coming to faith in Christ. It's just the beginning. Then there's a growth part about it. And you know what? If you find these seven qualities in your life, then there's no doubt. It's like assurance to you that oh, I'm saved. God is working. This power is coming out. I've, I I've see God working this in my life. And then as I apply and step into these qualities and he's changing me, hold, you know what? You, you don't question your salvation and no one else will either. What's hard is when you see a shriveled grape, right? And you're like, oh, hmm. I think he's a Christian. I think, I think so. She talks like it. But it's hard to see when there's no maturity going on, where there's no fire for Jesus, for that love for Jesus to live out what's in this life. And uh, what what God has put in us. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, Peter's writing about a Christian who just has that first part, the faith, that first just salvation. And he's talking about someone who, who hasn't grown here. And so he says, if you lack these seven things, you know what? It really shows uh, that you're nearsighted. You know, nearsighted people, right? They, they they have special glasses so they can see farther, but they can only see what in focus, what is close, right? I'm I'm actually farsighted sighted, and uh, I can see far, but when I see close, whoo! I can't even see the Bible now. Well, now I can see it, right? But if you're nearsighted spiritually nearsighted, you only see so far what's in front of you. You know what it's talking about? You only see the physical and the temporal, not the spiritual, and the eternal. You only see that much. And then he says here in verse 9 that he is blind. What is that? I, I believe he's saying you're blind to thinking that no spiritual fruit in your life is Okay? That, that you're blind to the fact that, well, if I'm not growing in Christ, I have Jesus. I pray the prayer. But like you never go to church, hardly. There's no passion to know Jesus. You're like, well, I pray the prayer. I'm saved. Yeah, God knows your heart. But you, you're blind when you think that it's okay to not grow, that that's normal. Then you're blind. You're not seeing what the word says, what the Bible talks about. That's what he's talking about, being nearsighted and blind here. You see, those kinds of eyes cannot see that life is all about God. They're blind to the reality of Jesus, our mission here. The life is only centered on the here and now, yeah? Not, wow, Christ is going to come back. Wow, we have a life with him in heaven. It's all about the material now, the money now, the, the position to please yourself. The near sighted cannot see who we are in Jesus Christ now. God's work in us. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, he adds one more thing, verse 9, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You've forgotten that Jesus rescued you from your sin, that Jesus forgave you, cleansed you. Think about that. Remember what your life was like before Christ? Remember maybe the guilt you carried? Yeah. Remember how you were lost in your sins? This type of person who just stays on that, well, I'm saved, I'm good, but doesn't grow, they're they're like living now, maybe going back into sin, living in their flesh like nothing happened. No, when Christ comes into our life, we're given a new life, and you know what? We're a new creation, and we have this power and the promises in us to appropriate. You know what I was thinking about was, Remember, Israel, right? The children of Israel, they were rescued from Egypt. They were freed from the bondage of Egypt. But later, they began to forget about all that. They got blind. They got nearsighted. There's no water here. There's no food. Moses, what would you do? Lead us out here to die? We're going to die in the wilderness. You know what they're saying? We should have stayed in Egypt. Why? These guys are crazy. You remember your life back there? Or some of them, we, got, we should go back. Let's go back. Oh, I missed the nice food there and everything. You know, it's like, what? What? What's going on? They forgot what God did. The huge miracles, the 10 plagues, the party of the Red Sea. They forgot all about that. They forgot that God said, hey, I'm bringing you into the promised land, you guys. It's going to be way better. It's going to be where I'm going to establish you, Right? Uh, um, uh, big grapes and honey, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? They forgot that God had called them to what? To be a holy nation for God. That God was going to establish them to be a light to the Gentile. They totally forgot. They they were so nearsighted. Oh, it's so hard in the wilderness. Oh, all this stuff is going. They were just focusing on themselves and you know what that shows they hardly matured. their faith yeah they believe in god brought them out but now they're like nothing happened right did you know from egypt to the promised land is really a two-week trip they took what 40 years 40 years are we like that so understand what Peter's writing here. Watch for the indicators that show if you are spiritually growing or not. I, I read this article back in 2009, but I was always intrigued. It talked about a girl named Brooke Greenberg, who at the time turned um, uh, 16, but is only two and a half feet tall. She weighs 16 pounds. She has teeth of a six-year-old, a mind of a toddler, and she had not aged for like 10, 11, 12 years. Doctors are baffled. I recently looked at that she passed in 2013. She never grew up from a, a like little toddler baby size. She never developed. Doctors are baffled trying to figure out what's going on. They, Of course, they gave it a, some sin, syndrome. But you know what made me think? Is that you? Is that me? Are we staying baby, a baby Christian all this time, not growing? Are we baffling other people like, didn't you come to Christ? But you're still like doing the same thing. What, what, what's going on here? Let what you see here in the Word of God jumpstart you. Yeah, Let's find the recipe for spiritual success right here. So we see number one, the ingredients, the indicators. Now number three is the inspiration. The inspiration. And our last two verses this morning is this. Look at verse 10, uh, first of all. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So here's Peter writing, saying, therefore. I mean, since real faith brings real growth, then you know what? Let's be diligent, he's saying. Be diligent. The word diligent is like make a strong, passionate effort. Don't just, oh, yeah, I'll go to church when I feel like him. Yeah, No, make a strong effort. To, no, I'm going to live out what God has done in me. I want to live for Jesus. I want to be everything God wants me to be with a passion, with effort, with a goal, with an aim, with a target, you guys. Not just, well, when it comes, it comes. That's not what diligent means. And then he says, here, therefore, you know, be all the more diligent to what? Confirm your calling and election. Confirm means to verify, yeah? To prove, to verify what? Your calling. That speaks of when God reached out to you. And God said, hey, come, come to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit convicted your heart and you're like, I need Jesus. That's what that means. When God called you, when you heard his voice and you gave your life to Jesus Christ. That that was a real moment that, that God was, was loving on you and saying, come, and then you gave your life to Christ. And what's election? Well, election is when he chose you. And we know biblically, we're not going to get into this today. I've done whole studies on election and free will. If you have questions, you could come and ask me later. But this is when, what the Bible says, he chose you. When he chose you before the foundation of the world in Ephesians. When he, in, in eternity past... Yeah, he looked into the future and he knew that you would be born and lived. And he said, oh, this one's, this one is my child. When he chose you in that way. So Peter's like, you know what? Verify this by being diligent, by living this life, showing I did come to Christ. I did hear his call. God did save me, that God did choose me. And this is who I am. Confirm that you're really saved. By getting to growing spiritually. And then he says that look, if if you practice, right? If you implement these things into your life, then these qualities, what's that? The seven ingredients, right? Then these qualities uh, will be there. If you practice it, you will what? Never fall. You will never stumble. You will you will keep growing. And you won't be backsliding. That's another word. See, the profession of faith is proved by the progression of faith. If your faith is real, then there will be a progression in your life. So that profession is proved by the progression, by you growing spiritually. And again, we're not perfect in this, but we're growing in this. Something else Warren Wheelsby said was, the, talking about the Christian, he will not always be on the mountaintop, but he will always be climbing higher. That's it, you guys. We need to keep climbing. We need to keep going. We need to move forward. We need to keep growing. And we've got to put a passionate, strong effort, be diligent in this. And then verse 11, our last verse. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when you put into practice these things, when you take these seven ingredients and you put them into your life and you start to grow in that way, then you know what? You will be richly provided, meaning you will be lavishly (laughs) rewarded on your entrance into heaven he's saying you there's going to be a big welcome home party going on it's going to be a big celebration it's going to be fanfare ticker tape parade all of that angels will be yeah all right and that's when i believe we will hear well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful you you've been steadfast yeah You've been growing in godliness and in your brotherly affection and love. You faithfully finished your race. That's the idea here. You know, in Second Corinthians 5.10, it speaks of the bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And, and it speaks of for believers now. This is for believers. It, it's not for sin. Our, our sin is covered in the blood of Christ and, and on the cross. But it's to give account for how we lived our lives. That's what it's about, Second uh, Corinthians 5.10. It's not the great white, white throne judgment. That's for unbelievers. But it's a judgment or it's a, a, a looking at a believer's life on, on how we live. And we're examined for what rewards we will receive. It's like God will, at the bema seat, look at your life and say, well, what did you do with the resources god gave you and what resources are we talking about here the power and promises of god that we can become all who god wants us to be we'll be looked at like how faithful were you in responding to the word how are we responding to what we're studying here this morning and and, and we'll be we'll be kind of uh, looked at looked upon and wondering how the, how did you yield to the Holy Spirit? Did you honor Jesus? All of these things are going to come into play. And you know what? It, in 1 Corinthians 3, it seems to be tied together with 2 Corinthians 5, that these things, these things in our life, works, qualities, uh, what we do, will be tested by fire to see if they were done for our own self or was it really for God. Now, of course, the ones who live for God and implemented the, these things, they, they will survive judgment, of course. But Paul seems to talk about in 1 Corinthians 3, before the spiritually unfruitful, in 1 Corinthians 3.15, will basically barely make it, and he says, through the fire. In other words, those works we've done for ourselves would be burned up and will skate through. You know what? I want to make my entrance in how it is written here. Richly provided into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Yeah? I want to make my entrance into heaven richly. Don't you? Don't you? So let these things be the inspiration to be serious and passionate about growing spiritually. And that's our last point here. Let these things, everything we studied here, that the seven ingredients, right, be the inspiration to be serious and passionate about growing spiritually. Again, we're not perfect in these things, but we want to keep growing. We want to keep reaching for these things. We we we, we want to be everything and do as much as we can to be faithful to the Lord. So when we reach heaven, we will hear those words. Yeah, well done. It's been said, high in the Swiss Alps, a small monument stands in honor of this faithful guy who perished while ascending the peak to rescue a stranded tourist. Under his name, inscribed on the memorial stone are three words, he died climbing. That's what I want my life to be. So let's take inventory of our life today what qualities do you see in these seven ingredients what do you see is it part of your life is it an integral part of your spiritual walk with god what do you see what do you see is it of the sinful flesh or of the spirit is it what you see is it consistent to verses five through seven do you see yourself growing or backsliding If you think, well, I'm just staying the same, you know what, that's backsliding because we should be growing. Turn your life to Jesus. Get back to Him, you guys. Give your heart to Jesus today. Listen, it's all there inside of you. Verse 3, we have God's power. Verse 4, we have God's promises. Well, here in this passage, we're called to procure it, to appropriate, to implement it. Perhaps you're sitting here and going, oh, Lord, I, I'm convicted. Lord, I I've, I've failed you. Maybe you, f- you, f- you feel like a failure, well, failure but don't, don't be condemned, right? Don't think that that's it, God's done with you. Don't give up. We've all been there. Every Christian has been there. Don't think that spiritual success is out of your reach. It isn't. Christ's blood covers your sin but believe god is at work believe the holy spirit is moving right now i mean think about this message coming to your ears confirms the fact that god is working that he's calling upon you that he's reaching out to you let not your fear of failure be greater than the desire for spiritual success Recently, um, the basketball legend Michael Jordan celebrated his 60th birthday. He held six NBA championships, five times as NBA MVP, 10 times highest scoring, 14-time NBA All-Star, and three-time NBA All-Star MVP. Yet, did you know the best basketball player of all time was actually cut from his high school basketball team? Not only that, Jordan himself states, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. He says, on 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. But then he says this, but that is why I succeed. What does that mean? Jordan's failure only fueled his desire to succeed and not give up. See, the true measure of success isn't the absence of failure, but the ability to learn from that failure and press on even in times of failure. That's what it's about, you guys. So it is with us today. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at, it's with us. This is what it is for us. If God dense, destined to us to succeed spiritually, and he put new life in us with the potential to succeed and grow, why are we holding back? Why are we holding back? Let's believe what Jesus had done for you me and i'll close with this first john five says, for everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith so you guys let's put this passage into practice this the recipe for spiritual success let's pray lord as we close up here god i just thank you for speaking to us lord for for Kickstarting us, so to speak. God, let us not be lazy spiritually anymore. Let us not think that we're okay. Let us not think that it's okay to live for ourselves and just please ourselves. Lord, let us be convicted and surrender our lives to you that, that it hasn't been about you. It's about, been about me and what I want, what my will is and not your will. But Lord, you are lovingly calling us today. And I pray for anyone here that you would speak, God, and call and bring them to that place where these seven ingredients are being played out in, our li- in their lives and growing strong, growing strongly. I want to give you opportunity right now as your eyes are closed that if you want to rededicate your life to Christ or maybe you want to give your life to Christ that you just put your hand up. And keep it up there. Put your hand up. Anyone here? God bless you. God bless you. Keep your hand up. God bless you guys. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? God is speaking. God wants to move in your life. And if you understand what's going on, then you know the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. You can put your hand down. Lord, I pray for those who lifted their hands up, God, as they make a commitment to you to implement these things into their life, to, to stop being a lukewarm Christian, but to be an on-fire one, to passionately follow you, know you, and live for you. God, may you, by your Holy Spirit, touch their heart as they give, Lord, and commit to you their lives, God. Lord, move in a powerful way in all of us today, God. That we, would not, that we would leave here is people of God who, who, who are for you, Lord, not ourselves anymore, no more, no more. So thank you for these people who raise their hands, God, as they, to you, commit their life to you. If you raise your hand, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me today. I commit my life to you. And I give you everything. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me now to live passionately for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.